The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, December 6, 2021. The woman in your life Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and my co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Wow, it's a kind of a cold morning here in Sonoma County, real drizzly. One of those mornings that we like to just cuddle up. Of course, we noticed our dog, Rosie, is definitely do that today. Well, for today's show, I do not have a guest, and uh, I will be talking about our history as our strength, uh, play a few songs, uh, maybe read a poem, and also give my opinions on a few things. I like at least once every three, maybe four months to have a show for myself where I can, you know, talk about the things that we've been talking about and maybe do an overview. And I also have some special music and a special, special recording by uh, past uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We're going to hear from her and talking about some of the struggles that she went through uh, in order to not only get on the uh, Supreme Court, but also what it was like when she graduated law school just to get a job. Amazing, just amazing story. And I'm really excited to be able to present this to my listeners. I think it's very important that we understand the struggle that we as women have gone through. So much is at stake right now. And if we don't understand how we got where we are, it's, we're going to lose it very quickly. Well, today is also a special day on December 6th. 1944, my baby sister Evelyn Diane Holtz was born. Happy birthday, baby sister. I'm wishing you a joyous day and a healthy life. And, you know, just for fun, I thought I would uh, find uh, two women who were born on the 6th of December to find out whose shoulders my sister is actually standing on because of her birthday. Well, on December 6, 1815, and she made her transition in 1884. Happy birthday to Jane Swisshelm, who was the suffragist, wrote articles for local papers against slavery, for women's rights, and against le- uh, legal inequities. Uh, led to a close friendship with Mary Todd Lincoln, who was the wife of our president, Abraham Lincoln. So happy birthday to Jane Swisshelm, born December 6, 1815. And then another uh, wonderful person uh, was uh, born on December 6, 1927, and she made her transition in 2002, was uh, Patsy Mink. She was the first Japanese-American congresswoman, Democrat from Hawaii, uh, wrote the Women's Educational Equity Act, played a key role in the in enactment of Title uh, IX, which was renamed uh, posthumously as the Patsy Takamoto Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act. Wow, that's a mouthful. So happy birthday to Patsy Mink. As we can see, they're, they're African-American women, white women, uh, 
Asian women, all women played a very important part in bringing us to the place where we are today, where we have certain rights. We can, you know, of course we can vote. We can also run for Congress. You know, we can be lawyers. All kinds of wonderful things have happened for us. And we have to realize that these are the shoulders of the women that we're standing on. I mean, they came before us and they really struggled. Imagine in 1815, you know, uh, Jane Swisshelm was writing against slavery. I mean, very, 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 uh, you know, she took a lot of risk by doing that. Well, also, uh, I want to do a shout out to the North Bay Business, uh, North Bay uh, Black Chamber of Congress here in Sonoma County. Uh, they had a wonderful business showcase yesterday where they presented uh, many, many of the black-owned businesses in our community. And you can go on their website, the North Bay Black Chamber of Commerce. You can go on Facebook and you can see this wonderful presentation. You know, oftentimes what creates a lot of problems in our cultures is that we're not familiar with one another. We don't know each other. We don't talk to one another. We don't get a sense of of who we are. And there are many, many uh, black business owners that you can visit their business and you can say hello and get to know them a little bit better. And I think it becomes a little bit more uh, comfortable for all of us. So just remember to, it's the North Bay Black Chamber Business Showcase and it's now on... um, it's now on uh, Facebook. Well, tomorrow, you know, is December <laughs> December 2nd, excuse me, December 7th, and I have to say that my mother was very happy that my sister was not born on that day. Actually, my mother had a cesarean, and when I was born, you know, she made sure that I was not born on St. Patrick's Day, that I was born on March 18th, and the same thing with my sister. She made sure she was born on December 6th in lieu of December 7th. Well, tomorrow is December 7th, uh, the date of the day in 1941 that the Japanese planes attacked the United States naval base at Pearl Harbor. Uh, It was called External Hawaii Territory. It killed more than 2,300 Americans. You know, I was only a year and a half old when this happened, and I can only imagine how horrible that day was for all of us. And the USA, uh, of course, declared war on on Japanese. in Japan, and Germany declared war on the United States. What is even sadder is because of that event, the internment of uh, the Japanese Americans, which is really a dark spot in our history. You know, let me give you a little background on this. You know, there's been a lot of talk about a lot of ways of, of apologizing for it and restoration, but still, I think it's part of our history. And, you know, Fear creates many, many different opportunities, and this was definitely one of the opportunities. So in the United States during World War II, about 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry, most of whom lived on the Pacific Coast, you know, we're the Pacific Coast, California, were forcibly relocated and incarcerated in concentration camps in the western interior of the country. Two-thirds of the Intanees were United States citizens. These actions were ordered by President Franklin D. Roosevelt shortly after uh, Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor. Although their families were treated in unjustly in this way, I cannot, I can't believe this. More than 33,000 Japanese Americans served proudly with honors during the war. Wow. 
On December 18, 1944, a divided Supreme Court ruled in a 6-3 decision that the detention was a military necessity, not based on race. Many still believe it should not have happened. So it's very important that we remember, because there's so much going on on December 7th, which is tomorrow, you know, there'll be all kinds of things about Pearl Harbor and all that, and many, many people suffered. And I had no idea, I had no idea that so many people, 2,300 soldiers were killed during that attack. Really, really a sad day as... President Roosevelt said, a day remembered in infamy. Well, I want to do a special shout-out to my sisters of the National Organization for Women. You know, it's been a real, real month for, for all of us, you know, looking at all this abortion stuff going on. And the Women's March uh, called for uh, – hold on, I want, to get my, I want to get my notes here. Of course, I – Everything is it's really amazing, paper all over the place. Well, it was very, very interesting. Uh, what happened is on Wednesday, December 1st, hundreds of activists uh, encircled the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. to support abortion justin, uh, justice organized by the Women's March and the National Organization for Women. The Sonoma County chapter uh, had a gathering in Sebastopol, and about 20 people showed up. And it was really an amazing, an amazing event. And what we were standing for was that's the day that the court began hearing arguments for Dobb versus Jackson's, Jackson's Women's Health Organization. And their decision will set a critical precedent for the future of abortion access throughout the country. You know, it, it's really interesting. You know, it, it's, it's really interesting. I want to give you a little, uh, a little bit of background here. The center of the dispute in Dobbs is a law passed by the state of Mississippi in 2018 that bans abortion after 15 weeks uh, gestation uh, with a few limited exceptions. You know, and, and what the argument here is, is that women don't even know they're pregnant sometimes until three months into the pregnancy. And Roe versus Wade is very interesting because there is no, I used to, I thought there was a, a three month time that you couldn't get an abortion after three months, but in looking up the law, I saw that it's pretty, it's pretty well, it's pretty uh, open. And the Mississippi law titled the Gestational Age Act, interesting, conflicts with the current standard recognized by courts for state regulation of abortion. And since the 1992 Supreme Court decision of Planned Parenthood versus Casey, courts have held it to be unconstitutional for a state to ban abortion before the, uh, before the point in a pregnancy where the child becomes viable. As Mississippi 15-week ban appears to be a blatant violation of the visibility standard, Dobbs presents a chance for the court to wave a white flag over one of the most polarizing and contentious areas of constitutional law of the last century. Very, very interesting. And what could happen as a result of this law is they can overturn Roe versus Wade, and once again, abortion becomes illegal. And, you know, I have to say this. I say this over and over and over again. I'm not for abortion. I'm not against abortion. I'm for choice. 
If a woman decides to have an abortion, it is none of my business. It's only between her and her doctor. And if for folks who believe it's a it's a violation of religion and you're killing children, well, hey, and when she goes to her meet her maker, she's going to be punished or whatever their logic is. That's her decision. That's her opportunity. That's her responsibility. And if something's going to happen to her, I can't control that. And I don't see why we have to have laws that limit women's right to choose have laws that limit limit rights for women to have absolute control over their home body and you know it was interesting when we were doing the uh the protest uh standing and all talking to each other one of the best signs that i saw and it's exactly how i feel you know we're making this groups and, and a, a great majority of men, and I'm always surprised at the women who come forward, and I understand the sanctity of life. Life is very precious. I'm 81 years old, and I know when I get up in the morning, I say, thank you, Creator, for another day, another day to be on the radio, another day to enjoy Ken, another day to enjoy my grandchildren. I mean, all these wonderful things that come with life. But there comes a time, you know, particularly when a woman all of a sudden is caught off guard, an unwanted pregnancy. There's nothing worse than a child being born that's unwanted. So we have to start looking at this. You know, one of the best signs I saw, which is exactly how I feel, is let's take, the chil- let's take care of the children who are born. Since we're talking about saving lives, about stopping the killing of children, how about stopping the killing of children in war zones? Or due, due to lack of medical care or the dangers of guns. Four children were killed by a 15-year-old boy. Another sign I saw was, I wish they would make some noise about gun control as loud as they do around abortion. We need, all women need to stand up and tell their representatives how they feel. We have a constitutional right to privacy and a constitutional right to have dominion over our own bodies. You know, it, it, it's really very, very interesting. And how we have struggled, how we have struggled to get a place at the table to be able to influence laws, to be able to influence education, to be able to support Medicare for all. You know, it's really sad. It feels like women, we possess within our bodies the secret of life, and why are we treated like second-hand, uh, second-class citizens, and why are we always fighting for the right to have our own choice around our own bodies and whether we want to have a child or not. It's really very, very interesting to me. But there's a, there's a song by Elena Bookstill, By My Silence, I Give My Consent. You know, if we are not loud about this lady, we're going to lose our rights, our right to choose. And, you know, it's real interesting. I love uh, every once in a while when I go down to Santa Rosa Courthouse Square, I see these young women. They have tattoos, and they're very outspoken. And I always remind them. You know, if they take our right to choose, they're going to take away our right to tattoo our bodies. You know, it all is kind of in the same package. You know, people say, oh, no, Elaine, come on. They're not going to do that. Well, folks, I'm 81 years old. I remember dress codes. I remember being suspended for school because I wore pedal pushers and a black turtleneck and gold earrings and red lipstick. How dare you, Elaine, come dressed to school like a whore? 
I mean, my God, come on. These were the rules. And I was suspended. Of course, my mother, who had a great sense of humor, she calls the school and says, hey, thanks for uh, suspending my daughter for a week. She's enjoying the vacation. (laughs) My mom was another. She was a trip. And my mother always used to say that to me. She says, stand up for yourself. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to explore. Very, very important things. Well, you know, we're going to take a little break. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff about our history is our is our strength. And one of the people, one of the women that has definitely made history was uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She she has left a mark on this world that that is just amazing. Some of the things that she's done for women's rights, for women's equality, for women's equity. Very, very important woman. And I thought it would be very, very interesting to kind of do an overview, to listen to just some of her, you know, some of her thoughts and some of her ideas. And one of the things, you know, is very interesting that I didn't realize that I had several things in, in common with her. Number one, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, of course, was a Jewish woman. And secondly, she was a first-generation American on her father's side, exactly like I was. My father was born in Poland, and she was also a first-generation uh, child on her father's side. And on her mother's side, she was second-generation, just like I was with my mother. My mother was second-generation. Her mother came over from Russia. So we have that in common. And we also have that in common is the desire for women to be able to have a seat at the table. And she talks a little bit about what her struggle was. So listen very carefully. So we're going to be listening to, let me just read this here, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, about the law and women's issues. This is a reminder of the struggle women have experienced uh, trying to get control over their own bodies and lives. And when we come back, I'll be talking a little bit more about our history as our strength and go over uh, what rights we gained after 1970, which uh, when I returned to school and uh, women's issues were the buzz of the day. In fact, women's studies was alive and well. So let's go ahead, Ken, let's play Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I am, as you know, a Brooklynite, born and bred, a first-generation American on my father's side, barely second-generation on my mother's. Neither of my parents had the means to attend college. What has become of me could happen only in America, like so many others. I owe so much to the entry this nation afforded to people yearning to breathe free. My law school class in the late 1950s numbered over 500. That class included less than 10 women. I thought it could be a way to make a living plus to do something that would make conditions in your society a little better. There was another student at Cornell. Yes. (laughs) Who decided to become a lawyer, too. Yeah, my dear husband. Your dear husband. Yeah, in fact, we had decided that whatever we do, we do it together. Not a law firm in the entire city of New York bid for my employment as a lawyer when I earned my degree. There were many well-known firms in New York that were not yet up to welcoming Jews. The next I was a woman, that was a higher barrier. 
But the absolute killer was I had a four-year-old daughter. So when I graduated from law school, there was not a single woman on any federal bench. It would not be a realistic ambition for a woman to want to become a federal judge. Jimmy Carter became our president. He looked around at the federal judiciary and said, I am determined to appoint members of minority groups and women to the federal bench. One of my law clerks at the Court of Appeals said at the time that Clinton was considering who would be his first nominee to the court, he said, you will be on the list, but you'll probably be around number 25. I surely would not be in this room today without the determined efforts of men and women who kept dreams alive. People like Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Harriet Tubman. I stand on the shoulders of those brave people. The court wasn't an unknown territory to me. I mean, I worked at the Court of Appeals. I knew Justice Scalia from our Court of Appeals days together. I knew Justice Clarence Thomas, who was also on the D.C. Circuit. But Sandra was as close as I came to having a big sister. You know, the standard robe is made for a man because it has a place for the shirt to show and the tie. So Sandra Day O'Connor and I thought it would be appropriate if we included it as part of, of our robe, something typical of a, of a woman. When Sandra left, it was a very lonely place for me to be. That is a, a rather well-fed men up there. <laughs> and then there was a small, small, small little woman. <laughs> it was a wrong perception. Yeah. In my lifetime... I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. People ask me sometimes, when will there be enough women on the court? And my answer is, when there are nine. Because I've been there so long, I sit next to the chief. And to the left, some seats down is Justice Sotomayor, and to the right, Justice Kagan. We're all over the bench. We're one-third of the bench. But there has been a tradition in the United States of dissents becoming the law of the land. You're writing for a future age, uh, and your hope is that with time, the court will see it the way you do. The, the notorious RBG was started by a second-year student at... New York University Law School. She was dismayed about the decision the court had recently rendered, which she put on the internet. The announcement I made from the bench of my dissenting opinion in the Selby County case. And she called it the notorious RBG because she had in mind a well-known rapper, the notorious B.I.G. I love my job. It's the best and the hardest job that I have ever had. And it's what it has kept me going through four cancer bouts. Instead of concentrating on my aches and pains, I just know that I have to read this set of briefs and concentrate on, on the court's work.
my hero, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. What an amazing woman she is. That's for sure. Well, for you just joining in, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, or women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm kind of doing a solo today. For So for this segment of the show, we'll be going through a little bit more of our history as our strength. But but before before we go into our history as our strength, I want to make a special announcement. You know, we had a special interview uh, last week with a woman by the name of Copper Woman who is uh, in the process of protecting and defending her small house in uh, the West County here in Sonoma County. And they're going to be having a fundraising uh, benefit for her. And that's going to be on December 12th, which I believe is Sunday, at 1 p.m. at the Arlene Francis Center in uh, downtown uh, Santa Rosa. And you can find all the information about this event on Women's Spaces, www.womenspaces.com. I mean, it takes a village to make a change, that's for sure. Like they say, it takes a village to raise a child. It definitely takes a village to make any kind of change. And this woman is really struggling, struggling to make some new ideas and new laws available for people who have small homes on our on land. So please join her. That's going to be December 12th, uh, 1 p.m. at the Arlene Francis Center in downtown Santa Rosa was a wonderful interview and oh boy I just love I love that song she sang you know about everybody needs a home I mean it's so sure, it's so true I mean uh, the other night I made a can of cup of hot chocolate and we were sitting and watching we're watching Marco Polo which shows you war is eternal uh, but we were watching it and sipping the hot chocolate and I looked around my living room and I said oh creator thank you thank you for this wonderful place and at the same time my heart goes out to all those people that are homeless on this street and I cannot understand for the life of me why we can't get something done quickly. You know, when they come up with gun laws, it's debate, 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 debate. When it comes up with homelessness, it's bait, debate, debate. You know, like the young kids are saying, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to war, when it comes to ammunition, when it comes to supporting the war profiteers, man, we don't even take, it's not even a debate, it's a vote and everybody just agrees and the money goes. You know, come on, we have to start thinking about peace. 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 You know, when you sit in your backyard and you look at a tree, that's what peace is. It's quiet. There's no bombs. There's nobody being killed. There's everybody's eating. I mean, it's just, it's a simple thing. I remember when I was sitting, we were sitting in the studio with, with Jackie Elrid, by the way. Congratulations again. She has become the mayor of uh, Broner Park, which is another historical. I mean, there's women all around us now that are making history. But we, while we were listening, I forget what song we were listening to, but we were holding hands and crying. And I looked at her. And I said, and we looked at each other, and it was like, it was almost like we said it together. It's so simple, isn't it, Elaine? Just love. In fact, there's a song that we're going to play that talks about love. Okay, so back to our history is our strength segment. You know, I want to do something a little bit different. So what I'm doing even this month is going to be a little different. I'm going to combine uh, the history of some of the things that we've gained over the years, but also I'm going to honor some of the uh, wonderful things that women have done and that some of the shoulders that we are standing on. 
Well, basic rights did not happen until after the 1970s, and I actually found 40 rights that we gained since that time, and that I'm going to discuss uh, uh, three of them today. Uh, the first thing that I found very interesting, women couldn't serve on a jury. Can you believe that? Prior to the 1970s, female serving on a jury was rare, but not impossible. It did happen, but it hardly ever occurred before the 1970s. Many states didn't allow women to sit on the juries until 1973, when all states made it a requirement that females were allowed to participate. 1973, we were finally able to sit on a jury. In other words, everything's been decided for our lives and for everybody else's lives by men. Likewise, like we talked about with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as she talked about, she couldn't get a job when she graduated law school. Likewise, they couldn't even serve on the Supreme Court. The 1970s became a groundbreaking decade for women in the legal field. During the 1970s, more law schools started accepting women. They could serve on juries and become lawyers. The legal industry began to bloom with women interested in a legal career. However, it wasn't until 1981 when Sandra Day O'Connor received a seat on the Supreme Court. She held this position until 2006 when she retired. Other than O'Connor, three other women have served on the Supreme Court. Sonia Sotomayor, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Elena Kagan. Wow. Now this one is really I didn't realize that I was breaking the law in 1958 when I was living with my first husband and we were not married. Girlfriends couldn't legally live with their boyfriends. Today, many dating couples don't think twice about living together with each other before getting married. However, that wasn't the case around 50 years ago. During the 1970s, listen to this, many states had laws against living with your significant other before marriage. And I did that in 1958. Oh, my goodness. And it it wasn't until 2013 when all 50 states adopted the law, the law to allow couples to live together without getting married first. 2013, well, I got a secret to tell you. Uh, Ken, we've been, we were breaking the law when we first moved in. 2000, right? Didn't we move in on 2000? Yeah. Yeah, we were breaking the law because it did become legal in all 50 states. I didn't look up California law, though, but I, or New York law, but that, that is very interesting. Now, this is the joke of the year. Okay, this last thing that I'm going to say. I mean, I, I mean, when you think about it, these are small things, right? Women couldn't purchase athletic shoes. Women couldn't purchase athletic shoes. The history of women in sports is different from the history of men in sports. While women usually purchase at least one pair of athletic shoes today, this was something women couldn't buy until the end of the 1970s and into the early 1980s. And what they had to do was they had prior to that, prior to when it became legal that they could buy, they could manufacture women's athletic shoes. Women had to buy men's athletic shoes. I mean, come on. Women couldn't purchase athletic shoes. You know, when you think about it, they reverse Roe versus Wade, folks. They can reverse lots of things. Can you imagine you're not going to be able to buy sneakers? Oh, come on. 
Well, anyway, there's some prominent achievements at this time also by women in December. You know, December 1st, 1955 was really a historic day. Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat on a bus to a white person. Her arrest sparks the modern civil rights movement in the United States of America. I remember that day. I remember that day. I was 15 years old at that time. And I used to scratch my head. I used to ask my mother, why are people so prejudiced? Why, why, do, why do people hate each other? What's going on here? I mean, I'll never forget the first time I saw dogs being leashed on African-American people. I cried. Another thing that happened in 1935, on December 5th, 1935, Mary McLeod Bethune creates the National Council of Negro Women. And it was the first time, really, that women of color started to have a stronger voice. And December 7th, 1941, and that's going to be tomorrow, Captain Annie Fox receives the first Purple Heart awarded to a woman for her service while under attack at Pearl Harbor. Amazing. Well, there's some of our history. And also we have right now history is in the making because they're deciding whether we're going to have the right to have choice over our own body. And they're fighting like dogs. They, you know, they want to keep us, they want to keep us fat and pregnant. What's that old saying? Barefoot and pregnant. You know, it's really a sad, a sad, sad situation when you start thinking about it. So we're going to take a musical break again. And you know, I'm going to play this song. I played it, I played it last month, I believe. It's called Hey Mr. Politician by Ellen Booksdale. But you know, it's a song of its time. It's a song of its time. So I'm going to play it again. And think about what she's saying. And when we return, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, abortion uh, rate and something that's happening also about the gun control and all this other stuff that's going on in this world. And at the at the last segment of the show, I'm going to talk about our representative, uh, Ilhan Omar, who has been attacked verbally by another representative, another woman. But let's go ahead and play... Hey, Mr. Politician, Ken, and everybody, listen to the words. Hey, Mr. Politician, don't legislate my love. You're not walking in my shoes. Don't hide behind your religion. It's my right to marry whom I choose. Not your place to call me a sinner Or 
Freedom to choose. Don't send me to war, my children to war. Amazing. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And what I'm doing is just having conversations with, with my listeners, uh, giving opinions and some thoughts that I have. And, you know, with all this, this, this abortion rights and all this protesting around, you know, the right to choose, uh, you know, the fetus is God or whatever they want to say, you know, and trying to protect all these lives, I keep thinking about gun control. You know, I saw another sign is, how come they're not making the same fuss and the same noise around gun control that they are around fetuses? I mean, my heart goes out to all those parents who lost their four children in this horrible shooting at Oxford High School. These are fetuses that are 16 and 17, killed by a 15-year-old boy. I mean, what is going on? You know, and where's our gun control? Where's that debate? I, I really do not understand it. I really don't. And I hope people are noticing this and are really starting to think about it, to think about what is going on that we cannot get any gun control. We can't stop some of these horrific shootings that have been happening ever since Parkland. And still, 
no gun control, no debates about it, no votes about it. I mean, to me, it's mind-boggling. You know, I'm going to read a poem, a short poem that I wrote in the late 60s. It was part of a poem that I called When Johnny Comes Marching Home Again. And, you know, it's real interesting because what, what ended up happening is I was asked to do a presentation at the first meeting of the Peace and and Freedom Party in Los Angeles. And I was just amazed that I was even asked. You know, it was was mind-boggling to me, but I was. And I read this poem, and after I read it, I was, it was, there was like silence that, that, and I, I thought, oh my God, what did I do wrong? And then all of a sudden there was applause. And it went like this. Hello, my dear son. I waited for you for over a year. You're so pink and so perfect in every way. I can't even express more. My heart is open and how much I love you in every, every way. But wait, my dear one. I look to yesterday's mothers and their sons. Dear God, their sons are all carrying guns. And then all of a sudden there was silence. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what did I say? But later on I got feedback, and they said, that's it. We're sending our children to war. We're training them for war. I mean, I look around, I see diapers that are made like khakis, you know, like war war costumes that, that soldiers wear. You know, I see ki- little kids dressed up as soldiers, you know, saluting. You know, it's all preparing for war, for death. Why are we not debating this? Why are we not debating the way we kill our children rather than saving? Or I, I, I don't understand it. Even they're against the day after pill and they're against birth control. I can't understand it. You know, I even try to get people on the show to do an interview to maybe they can explain it to me and they hang up on me. Actually, if there's anybody out there that would like to come on and talk about this with me, I'd be happy to, just to have a conversation about it. I'm not going to attack you. I just want to know where are you coming from? Why are these other things not as important as what you're involved in right now? So there's a lot to think about. You know, there really is. There is a lot to think about. Well, I'm going to take another music break, another musical break here. And I found a song... I never listened to it before as closely as I did. You know, and it's a song by Buffy St. Marie. And I have to say, it's one of, it's just called, it's called Up Where We Belong. Now, that that's a real interesting, uh, hold on a minute here. That's a real interesting title, Up Where We Belong. And one of the things, one of the things that is mentioned a lot in the song is the idea of the eagle. And I, I thought that was very interesting because I know in the United States, the eagle is our national bird. And I did, I did a little bit of research, if I, could, if I could find it. I did a little bit of research on the eagle. And when I come back, uh, I will be talking about it. But let, let's go ahead and take a, a musical break and play Up Where We Belong. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about what's happening to Representative Alan Omar, 
who goes by the name of Omar and is the first Somali-American and the first naturalized citizen of African birth in the United States Congress and the first woman of color to represent Minnesota. She is also one of the two first two Muslim women that uh, also serve in Congress, and she has been the target of several death threats, harassment by uh, political opponents, and false misleading statements uh, by Donald Clang, uh, Donald Trump. I can't even I can't even pronounce his name. And last week, it was very interesting. Uh, House Republican Lauren Boebert told that what she and her audience considered a very funny joke about Representative Omar. The premise of the joke is that Muslims are terrorists. And if you don't, she said, if you don't think Muslims are terrorists, you won't enjoy the joke. Robert and her supporters cracked up. They also enjoyed her describing Omar as a member of the Jihad Squad. Wow. This is one woman talking to another woman. I mean, we're standing on the shoulders of women who went to jail, who were waterboarded so we could have a place on the table. And now we have women attacking women in this way. As far as I'm concerned, this attack on Representative Omer is attack on all women. And we need to stand up and say, no, this is not what we voted women in for. We voted women in as the idea that if women had a piece at the table, there would be peace. How can there be peace if there's not even peace among our representatives? Very, very, very sad. So let's go ahead and let's listen to Up Where We Belong, sung by Buffy St. Marie. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation.
belong where the eagles cry on a mountain high love lifts us up where we belong far from the world we know where the clear winds blow love love lift us up where we belong where the eagles cry on a mountain high whoa what a song and let me just give you a little bit of background here on the bald eagle. The bald eagle is the national bird of the United States. It was chosen June 20th, 1782 as the emblem of the United States of America because of the eagle's long life, great strength, and majestic looks, and also because it was then believed to exist only on this continent. The eagle represents freedom. The eagle represents freedom. How does the bald eagle represent freedom? That might be a question you may be asking. The way the bald eagle freely soars high in the sky with its strong winds independently, not listening to anyone with its independent nature. The bald eagle is a beautiful, majestic bird. Majestic means like a king, which is a great symbol for the United States as a new country that fought for its freedom from England. Amazing. That song, Up Where We Belong, it was written by Joe Crocker and Jennifer Warrens, and it is as timely as it was written almost 40 years ago as today. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful song. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm I'm doing a, stum, uh, a solo. And before we took a break, I was talking about uh, Representative uh, Iliban Omar. Uh, she goes by the name Omar, and... Uh, you know, she's had some issues here uh, by Representative Lauren Bohart, a Republican from Colorado, who made some pretty, pretty strong statements. And what, what's so interesting is I looked up and I said, has anything happened? Has she been reprimanded? Has she been taken off of committees? And I found a, an article, on, it's, a, it's a, an organization called VOX, which is a Facebook company. Com- uh, com- and what I want to do is just read you a few things from this article of what, what is going on with this particular issue. And as women, I personally feel any insult that is given to a woman like this publicly is an insult to all women. 
you know, I mean, they can talk to me about me being a feminist. You know, they have negative things about feminism and negative things about black women. You know, all kinds of different. You know, I had a I had a friend of mine who who was African American and and telling me about some of the things that she went through over her hair. How people made fun of her. I mean, come on. We are women. I mean, we're, we're all part of this earth. We're all part of this divine plan. And yet, why do we, why do we separate ourselves? Why do we condemn ourselves the way we do? Why are we capable of killing? You know, like I said at the beginning of the show, we've been watching a series on Marco Polo, you know, Genghis Khan about conquering how the testosterone of men have to, they have to have more land, more, more property, more women. I mean, oh my goodness, come on, let's relax a little bit here. Well, just as what the article says, congressional leaders are struggling, they're struggling to respond to anti-Muslim comments made by uh, Representative Lauren Boebert, the Republican from Colorado. An uncomfortable reminder of how accepted Islamophobia has become among Republican lawmakers who broadly have been silent in the wake of these statements. Two weeks ago, during a floor speech, Bobart referred to Rep- uh, Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat from Minnesota, as one of three Muslim House lawmakers, the only one to wear a hijab as a member of the Jihad Squad. What an insult. I mean, this is, she wears something over her head. I mean, I like to wear hats. I mean, what are they going to do? Say, I can't wear a hat, only men can wear hats? I like hats. You know, she, this is her culture from her culture. You know, and, and over Thanksgiving recess, Bohart continued to make these anti-Muslim remarks in a speech claiming that once while riding in an elevator Omar was on, she saw a worried Capitol Police officer approaching. Why was he nervous? She's a representative. I mean, it just, it just does not make much sense. You know, she did apologize. It said Bohart later apologized to anyone in the Muslim community. And, and she really was sorry that she offended people about that comment. But she never said that she was sorry to Omar. You know, racism is ugly. And it will not go away unless we all face up to it. We cannot support these things as women. We must write our representatives and say, no, do something. Reprimand this woman. Reprimand all people who talk against others. Well, that's it for our show, folks. And I hope you enjoyed it. I took a big risk. I don't normally do something like this. But I thought, you know, there's so much going on. And to be honest with you, I like to give an opinion every once in a while. You know, I like to express what I'm thinking. And for me, the most important thing is our children of the future. We must never, never lose sight of that. We must never lose sight of that. We must remember that all children are former fetuses, and if we're going to fight for the fetus, we have to fight for the children that are already here. Anyway, this is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. And please visit our website on www.womenspaces.com. And remember, I'm available for speaking engagements. And if there's any birthdays or anniversaries you have, please email me at www.womenspaces.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. 
previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, December 6, 2021.